Welcome to Parents' Rights Now, a production of Parents' Rights in Education, hosted by Suzanne Gallagher. We are committed to valuing students, empowering parents, and supporting communities to secure great educations for public school children in America. PRE welcomes all students, families, and community members who care about scholastic success for K-12 public school students. Visit our website, parentsrightsined.org, and like us on Facebook. Join us by filling out the form on our website titled, Join Us. You will find information regarding issues and information about local and state chapters. Hey, everybody. It's great to be back. Today is Tuesday, the 18th of October. Oh, my gosh. This year is almost over. It's going by so quickly. And today, the 18th of October, the ballots were sent out to voters by whichever states do mail-in voting. And um, this is going to be a very exciting few weeks until voting day in November. I'm not going to go into that because I have a fantastic article I want to read to you. I just wrote it for our upcoming news alert. And it was inspired by a telephone call that I had with an activist in Virginia Beach, Virginia. She's a mom. She's fighting against some very disturbing books that are in the school library. And she was just censored from even speaking at upcoming school board meetings. In fact, she was investigated. So she's one of the victims of of the assertion that parents are domestic terrorists, right? And this was a false assertion that was made by the Department of Justice, spearheaded by Biden himself, and the National School Board Association. So now we're up to speed on that. But she did inspire me to do a story on book banning. Now, book banning has been going on a long time. And by the way, it isn't even really book banning. Who's doing the book banning? Nobody's banning books. Is removal of books from a school library banning? No. We're just saying they're not appropriate for our children in our community. Thank you very much. But we don't want these books in our library, and we don't want the teachers reading them to the students. We don't want the students reading them together. We don't want our children to be exposed to this type of material at school. But that doesn't preclude any other parent reading them to their own child. Here's an analogy of what's going on. When our four-year-old son, he's our middle child, we have three children, two boys and the youngest is a girl. And he came into the kitchen from playing outside. He was playing with some of the other, you know, kids in the neighborhood, riding his bike, you know, they were, you know, throwing the basketball, etc. And just out of the blue, he said nothing else, but he stood there in the center of the kitchen and looked at me and said, you effing asshole. Now, <laughs> I, I didn't laugh because I didn't think that was funny at all. In fact, the first thing I thought of was, where did you get that? Who said, who's talking like this? Where are you getting this? 
Now, today, we have to assume they're getting it from the public school. They're getting it from the teacher. They're getting it from another student who learned from our, from our teachers. Anyway, I'm going to share with you some history about book banning because it's important that we know, is this just brand new? Well, for a young person who's raising uh, their children, they don't know anything about book banning. Really, they've never heard of it. So the first article I came across was um, Associated Press article on September 16th this year. The American Library Association, or the ALA, says the wave of attempted book banning and restrictions continues to intensify. Numbers for 2022 already approach last year's totals, which were the highest in decades. Banned Book Week, sponsored annually by the ALA, is promoted around the country through table displays, posters, and bookmarks, and stickers, and through readings, essay contests, and other events highlighting contested works. In other words, books that are questionable, that people have have complained about. In order to do that, you fill out a form, you have to submit it to the librarian and say, you know, I'd like you to remove this book from the library. Deborah Caldwell Stone, director of the ALA's Office for Intellectual Freedom, says, quote, I've never seen anything like this. It's both the number of challenges and the kinds of challenges. It used to be a parent had learned about a given book and had an issue with it. Now, we see campaigns where organizations are compiling lists of books without necessarily reading or even looking at them, unquote. I have something to say about that. Uh, in the 90s, the same thing was happening. There were books that people were not happy with. And there were also organizations who got together uh, lists and published the lists and warned uh, parents about the books. So nothing is new. Deborah Caldwell Stone, you must be a young person. Continuing on with the article. According to a report issued in April, the most targeted books have included Maya Kobabi's graphic memoir about sexual identity, titled Gender Queer, and Jonathan Evison's book Lawn Boy, a coming-of-age novel narrated by a young gay man. We're seeing that trend continue in 2022, the criticism of books with LGBTQ subject matter, said Caldwell-Jones. She added that books about racism, such as Angie Thomas's novel titled The Hate You Give, also are frequently challenged. So we have to go back to the mid-70s to find out what the Supreme Court said about book banning in our K-12 local schools. Now we're talking about schools, public schools, the schools that you and I know belong to everyone. Everyone should feel comfortable and safe sending their child to a public school. In a New York Times article, titled Book Banning in America, 
by Colin Campbell, dated December 20th, 1981, we learn, quote, in October 1981, the Supreme Court agreed to review a case stemming from the decision in 1976 by the school board of Island Trees, Long Island, to remove nine books from its libraries and curriculum. According to one of the board's press releases, the books were anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-Semitic, and just plain filthy. Unquote. In 1980, a federal court of appeals declared it was permissible and appropriate for local school boards to make decisions based upon their personal, social, political, and moral views. Unquote. The court thereby upheld a 1977 ban by the school board in Warsaw, Indiana, against five books including Sylvia Plath's novel, The Bell Jar. Significantly, there are no clear federal laws that specify what rights school boards or local governments have to decide what books will be available in school or public libraries. That is one reason the Supreme Court agreed to review the Island Trees case as a way of sorting out the conflicting rights of local authorities and readers. What does the law say? The Supreme Court has not ruled on how boards of education choose books to place in a library. However, once a book is in a library, school boards may remove it, but only under certain circumstances. The Supreme Court set the standard for banning books in 1982. In Island Trees School District versus Pico. In that case, the school board attempted to ban a number of books because they were anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-Semitic, and just plain filthy. The justices were unable to come to a majority agreement and instead issued what is known as a plurality opinion, in which some combination of justices signed on to three different opinions in order to render an outcome. The standard from PICO, which governs book banning decisions, is that school officials may not remove books from the school library simply because they dislike the ideas in the book. However, school officials may remove a book from a school library if it is inappropriate for the children of the school. For example, if Lolita was in an elementary school library, the school board could probably remove it because of its highly sexual and violent content. Now, the rest of this episode is my opinion. Here we go. I'm looking at this Supreme Court decision. And the word that jumps out to me is inappropriate. Inappropriate for the children of the school. Well, who should decide what is inappropriate? 
We've got a wrestling match going on here, guys. And it's between elected officials, the bureaucracy, and you and me, the citizens and the parents of the children who live in the community. And guess what? We have to win because we are the only ones, when I say we, I'm talking about parents, are the only ones who know what's appropriate for their children. This is very personal. It's about the family, the nuclear family, and a natural right as a parent. There is no doubt the stunning increase of complaints about removal of inappropriate books from K-12 schools is fueled by the introduction and promotion of three curriculums, comprehensive sexuality education, social justice and race theory, and gender identity. All of these themes have been fueled by a concerted effort to produce complementary literature for students as young as preschool or kindergarten. Something more is taking place. The curriculum companies have much to gain if these additional books are available and promoted in the school library for students and school staff to supplement their narrative. We know their goal is to change the culture. They say it. It's in black and white in their their writings. Sikas' new byline is sex ed for social change. And they're the largest producer and influencer on sexuality curriculum. Between breaking down our children's inhibitions, sexualizing them, and indoctrinating them to embrace gender and race theory pedagogies, the K-12 public school cabal is accomplishing what they strategized for an entire century. However, they underestimated the resolve and commitment of the nuclear family in America and beyond. We are not about to just take it lying down. The campaign to rid our libraries of anti-family literature in the name of diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice is just one initiative to roll back the progressive plan. Parents who have been censored by their school boards are not giving up. We are laying the groundwork for a program to ignite local communities to take their control of school districts back. So, Deborah Caldwell Stone, director of the ALA's Office for Intellectual Freedom, you are correct. The wave of attempted book banning and restrictions continues to intensify. And that's just the beginning. This is Parents' Rights. Now, Please check your show notes for links pertinent to this podcast. Please consider making a monthly contribution to Parents' Rights in Education. We need your help. We have big plans 
in mind. And because of a very generous one-time contribution of $25,000, we are challenging our listeners and our readers, all of our supporters, to match that. Gives $12 a month. If there were only 500 of you, that would tally up to $6,000 a month, almost tripling the $25,000 check we just received in one year. Be part of that club. We call it the 12 by 12 club. A link to our website is in the show notes or go to parentsrightsined.org. See you soon.